evening Chelsea fans. Welcome back to another weekend of Chelsea Chat with me, Moose, and JB. And this week we're joined by a regrettable guest on the show, in Matt, the Arsenal fan. Um, after the disappointment of the weekend, we've obviously got biased views of an Arsenal fan um, talking around Anthony Taylor's Arsenal. Um, and then we're going to go through, obviously, the game itself, how Anthony Taylor ruined that for for everyone involved and then uh, we'll go through some of the transfer tracker and into sort of looking forward to Bayern Munich friendly and uh, a bit more so um, don't forget to like subscribe and hit the bell notification and don't forget to comment below we'd like to hear your thoughts and uh, and dreams in the comment section so welcome Matt welcome to the Chelsea Chat podcast how's it feel joining a Chelsea fan podcast for the fans by the fans <laughs> disgusting to be honest with you I regret agreeing to come on here but I'm glad I'm here it's an honour appreciate it is this um, where you uh, thought you'd be when you sort of set out as an Arsenal fan all those years ago <laughs> I, I want it noted that I agreed to come on here when everyone thought we were definitely going to get absolutely stuffed so the fact that I'm here smiling <laughs> is definitely not what I thought it was going to be um, but no yeah I, I, I can't wait to, to get into it talk about the game it's going to be be interesting as as the player after that obviously I know so if we get started with the game um, it was an interesting one because I, I think everyone probably would have agreed with you there that Arsenal probably were the underdogs even though they had much more riding on the game than Chelsea did what were your thoughts going into the game and then probably starting to watch it so the day before the game I was just messing everybody saying I just hope we don't get embarrassed. Like I just just get through with maybe only a two nil, three one defeat. When I saw your predictions, I thought probably take that. Then the morning of the cup final, the naive optimism kicks in, and you're thinking we could do this. We could probably do this based on nothing at all, really. And then uh, five minutes in, I thought this is going to be the longest ninety minutes of my life. Uh, <laughs> we not only. Not only just the five minutes in, I think for the first 15 minutes, we you were just cutting us open down the middle for fun. I mean, straight from Jorginho to through to Pulisic was just embarrassing. There's no one. We were, It's like we knew you were going to try and go out wide uh, and you just thought there's a, a massive gaping gap between Jacker and Ceballos. I played it for every time and uh, we were cut open. It was really interesting because before the drinks break, there's that sort of level of, I don't know, we as Chelsea fans, you just felt as much as sort of it was a good run, you never trust the first 20 minutes of a game as a Chelsea fan. You could have, you could, we could have been 5 0 up and I still wouldn't have trusted we'd won that game. Um, and then it all turns and there were a number of different decisions and things that happened throughout the game. But sort of, to your point there, first 20 minutes were a joy to watch as a Chelsea fan. Um, Pulisic, I mean, going forward, absolutely frightening. I think he's going to be one of our mainstays in the squad next season and I'm really going to challenge. Um, but yeah, it did go a bit downhill from there. and You probably got a differing view of that. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the, the drinks break, we scored two minutes after drinks break, right? That's the, that's the interesting turning point. And, um, and to be honest, the, it's not, you never ever picked up on the long ball to the Bamiak. It was just we we David Luiz and Sabas were just playing those 
over and over again and you kept getting through and then uh, obviously you get brought down. I don't, I thought it was a red, but then it turns out you can't get, if it's a penalty, you can't get a red card. So I was screaming red card for absolutely ages. And uh, I don't think, because it's a double jeopardy thing, so you don't get it. Uh, Bamiang scores it, obviously we went nuts. Even then I'm thinking we've restored some pride, but we hadn't created, I think we'd had a header and then maybe a couple of runs, but we hadn't done anything since then. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we scored the penalty. I'm thinking we can just get to half-time 1-1. Inevitable 2-1 Giroud header would be okay to, to swallow. I thought you just sat back for the rest of that half, really. I don't think you did much for the rest of that. I think... I well, think and it's that way around. I don't think we... I thought we played all right, but you let us play. That's the, the main thing. I think it's the, the big challenge we had. I mean, to, if we look at the, the starting eleven from a Chelsea standpoint, I was... Firstly, a bit disappointed not to see Kante in there because I think we would have been a completely different game if he'd been in there. Um, we had to play Jorginho which, and, and a back five to go and manage that. And actually, we would probably would have been better off with a back four if we'd had Kante sitting just in front of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and equally, he would have carried a lot of those balls where and managed the run of Aubameyang. So that was a bit of a, a frustration, even though before the game, Kante was being picked as being fit, which would have sort of made it a massive sort of difference there because it, it went back to a sort of the, the areas where we lapsed were our back five again. Mm. Um, losing Dave um, early on was an absolute killer because he's the only person who's got a mature head in our back five. Um, he gave away the penalty. It was a debatable, I'll say debatable, yeah. Debatable penalty. Um, you, you can debate if you want amongst yourselves, but it's uh, pretty, pretty penalty, penalty. That. I mean, it was probably the one sort of decision that Anthony Taylor made that I might allow him to have, but most of the others. I you're wasn't setting up him. the rest of the chat here, aren't you? I can see where this is going. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to talk around Arsenal fan Anthony Taylor, we're happy to talk around that on this podcast. <laughs> Um, I wouldn't even I mean, yeah. say uh, I wouldn't even say Arsenal fan. I think it's just more um, anti-Chelsea from that man. To be honest with you, um, I mean I, I've I've seen since right, and I didn't even realise this before. But uh, firstly, he was the referee in the the cup final uh, a couple of years back when when we played Arsenal, and you know you had the Sanchez handball and you had the Moses sending off, etc. Which you know a one-off game is not a problem. Then we came to this season, and almost every big bad decision that happened against Chelsea that you think of was from him. Um, so you had the the Maguire boot uh, into Batshuayi. That was Anthony Taylor. Uh, Watford's when uh, Deo Lefeo got a penalty. That was Anthony Taylor. When we played Tottenham um, and their goalkeeper came out and booted uh, Alonso in the chest, he originally gave that as a foul to Tottenham. And then it was only VAR then came back and, and changed the decision. And he also missed the, the Son boot up into uh, Rudiger's chest. Um, and then obviously you've got the, the final yesterday where he made a number of bad decisions. So it's, it's kind of difficult to, to swallow when it's all the same referee making all of the decisions against us this season. I think that's probably most of the bad decisions that we've had against us because we, we've not been too bad off this year, really, with, with decisions. We've had a few bad ones, but they've all pretty much come from him. And that's when it's like, it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't sit right with me. 
he that Sanchez one was I remember that being really like I thought it was off. I thought it was no goal for two reasons. One, the handball, but then you go, okay, maybe it's not handball. Maybe it was two. I mean, by these days, it would be disallowed because it's any contact, right? But back then, it's like it's intentional, or whatever. And then the ball lands, and I remember him being right next to Aaron Ramsey, who was definitely offside, mm-hmm. and uh, they deemed him not active, even though I'm pretty sure Sanchez had to like brush him out of the way to get to the ball. And I, thought, yeah. I remember thinking at the time, we've got away with that. So it's interesting. It's the same guy. I didn't know that. Yeah, and yeah, and the I think the the United one because I, I think on that day we also had like a couple of goals disallowed. So obviously rightly disallowed because VAR was used, but it was that frustration. And then when Maguire should have got sent off, he didn't, and then he scored the winner. That was like even more infuriating. So the two, you know, the two games where I felt the most hard done by this season in terms of decisions have both been him, and there's a number of other occasions where he's had those bad decisions against us. So it's. I wouldn't say, I probably wouldn't say, you know, it's it's something specifically against Chelsea in reality. I think, and it, this kind of also le- uh, leads into just talking about VAR in general. I think it's just the poor quality of officiating we've got in, in this country. I think the officials are terrible um, as an overall collective. And that's why VAR has failed. It's because it's being run by the same officials who are making the poor decisions. And even looking at it again on a camera, they still can't get it right. And that just shows you how bad... You know, the the referees are in this country. I don't understand how. I think VAR could be one of the most entertaining things in football if it, if it yeah. was done right. I have no idea how they've managed to make it such a boring, scary, inaccurate mood killer. Yeah, it probably is entertaining if you're a United fan. Um, oh yeah, just because everything seems to go their way. I think the stats this week are United have been the top club that have benefited from VAR. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and equally, yeah, the top sort of club that's had decisions go their way in that space, um, and that's the thing is that that was the problem when you had referee decisions in game anyway. That United were getting those decisions. Now they're just getting those decisions, and they pointed them out on the screen. Um, so I, I, that's the issue I've got. But I mean, I'll, I'll give the the, the Aspelaqueta penalty because. Uh, there was a foul yeah. there. It, yeah, it did it start outside the box. He's obviously given advantage and it's continued into the box and has given the penalty of that. So I'll give him that decision. Um, he has made a number of monumental issues throughout the game, though, that have, I think, killed the game off. So if we if we start with those there, so the contentious points were the Martinez outside of the area catch, um, which I know that you, you're going to challenge us on there, that because from the, the the split second you've taken your screenshot, he's not outside the area. From the screenshot yeah. myself and Jamie have seen, he definitely is. I think this is the thing. When I watched it live, uh, we we were certain it was outside the box. Like, there was not a doubt in my mind. If you, if if he had not gone to VAR and sent him off, I'd have thought, fair enough, because it just looked terrible. Then... Uh, then the weird thing, I don't know if you watch channel you watching. I was watching it on BBC. No replay. They didn't even show it, did they? Yeah. No replay. And and that's that's you know that feels a little bit dodgy as well. The fact that even the BBC because they they were like, oh yeah, he definitely looked outside the box. Yeah. And then they didn't even discuss it again. Like like it never even happened. And I was like, you're not even going to talk about that again. You're not going to show it. Like it's quite a contentious thing to to look at. And then yeah. all of a sudden at the end of the game, I mean, I turned it off straight away after full time, but. <laughs> Uh, at the end of the game, it seems that they've shown a replay of it later with what looked like two blue lines coming across. Like, yeah, I thought it was weird. 
I thought it was really well. I mean, the fact that Danny Murphy originally goes, he's out. I remember hearing him saying he's out and he's clearly yeah. watching some replay. And I was thinking, oh, here we go. And then I'm Googling if it's a red card, if it's, I had no idea if it's a red card, if he's, if he's the last, last man. It is. Um, and, uh, and then when they showed the video at the end of the game, in real time, I, it doesn't look like he's handled it. What it looks like is he's, he's when they go to catch the ball, like, like you would in cricket, like you've just kind of guided it and then made contact in the box, which is on the line. But the still, if you take it, and this is my problem with VAR in general, uh, particularly with offsides, if you take the still a thousandth of a frame earlier, it's he's holding it. If you take the still a thousandth of a frame later, he's not holding it. And then you're into like silly territory in my mind. And I think even in that decision, if they'd said he's outside the box, a human being I think would have watched that and gone, he's outside the box. And I think how accurate do you need stuff like that to be is the real thing. Because like I say, I think having watched the video now, I don't think it is, but then to your point, if you can show a screenshot that looks like he's holding it, it's like, how do you know the hands made contact? Because it looks like it is. That's my. That's the. That's the. That's, that's that's probably where they go into the whole clear and obvious thing. I mean, um, offsides are, is an offside. It's either offside or it's not, which is what they kind of argue when they say about these armpit offsides and these millimeters and stuff. But yeah. if if they took that to VAR and had a look at it, and you know. The referee said, no, that's not, he's not handed outside the box. Then they look at it and they say, we're not sure. So it's not a clear and obvious mistake. So therefore, we, we stick to the ref's decision. And I don't know if they even actually checked it because they didn't say anything on, on the commentary. But if they did, that's probably what's happened. They've looked at it and said, we don't actually, we can't be 100% certain if he's handled it or not inside or outside the box. So we're not going to give it. Isn't that frustrating though? Because there's been so many other times where they've overturned things and you're watching yeah. it and at home you're like, you've watched it five times, you're thinking, I'm not, really, I'm not even sure. And yeah. they've, they've changed their mind. So I think you just, you just have the ref go to the screen, which by the way, only happened once in Arsenal All games. Once I, I think it happened like once or twice throughout the whole Premier League season completely. Mm-hmm. I don't, it, it hardly got used, which was just, yeah. If, if the <laughs> VAR guys can't decide then it's down to the ref. Let him have a second look and make his own decision. But, mm. I mean, that wouldn't have helped us anyway because Anthony Taylor was never going to give us anything, was he? So <laughs> it would have made a blind bit of difference. Even in the Kovacic second yellow, he would have gone, oh, straight red. Not even a, not even a second yellow. He would have given him a straight red. That's so, the next one. Yeah, let's move on yeah. to that point because, I mean, if we, we kick off, obviously, Kovacic earlier in the game, um, definite foul, definite yellow card. No scores. Down the first one. First one's yeah. definitely yellow. Yeah. Definite foul. Um, lashed out, gave a yellow card. Uh, I'll put my hands up there. And, and bear in mind, Kovacic has been our best player by far this season. So he has been our standout performance of this uh, campaign. Um, and so it's been a really important part of, of the way we play. And then the decision just, I, I don't quite get how they've come to the decision of a second yellow. And, and there was no even second review. You just go straight for the. The they card. can't far far doesn't get involved with yellow cards um and it's just a normal foul in the middle of the air in the middle of the pitch so it's not a penalty decision it's not a goal threatening decision so and it's not a red card decision either in terms of a straight red it's only a straight red they'll look at they don't look at second yellows which again feels a little bit harsh 
for everyone, yeah. not not just us, but for everyone. You know, if if someone's getting sent off, that's a big factor. And if that's the wrong decision, and they've got the use of these cameras, then use it. You know. And I don't understand why. I don't understand why you can't just have people watching the game in real time, and those people just say that's a bit dodgy, and that's when. I mean, it, we you do it at home. You could do it with a bunch of fans. Basically, people just go, "Hang on a minute," and that "hang on a minute" takes ten seconds to watch it again. Yeah, I also disagree with watching it in slow motion. I don't think slow motion it, for tackles, slow motion for offsides and stuff helps. But watching a tackle in slow motion does not capture the tackle because yeah. it either looks really bad or it takes away the the impact. Because if you're running at speed and you get nudged, it doesn't look like it. Yeah. Uh, all that being said, it was definitely not a second yellow, and I have no idea. Even at the time, I didn't shout for a second yellow, and I wanted him sent off for a tackle he did just before that because he got he got booked first half, I think, and then start of the second half, he tackled someone outside the edge of the box, and I was like, "Oh, that's two now." And then the third one, which we got sent off for, I thought, "Okay, it's just it's just a trip, or it's just whatever." Then he booked someone, and I thought he booked us for trying to get. Yeah, him no, yeah, they, he did, and then he came back really? and gave Kovacic the yellow. Yeah, he did. He booked someone in wow. your team for for trying to get him sent off, and then he went back and booked Kovacic for the second. Oh, it's Bios. He booked the Bios. It's Giza. The worst thing. That's sad. The worst thing is I'm, I'm just rewatching it whilst we're going on here, and he doesn't even touch the player. That is the big thing. He's, he's even if. It been the ball. It, he touches the ball, and the player goes down. And, and don't get me wrong, player probably that comes into his decision making. But he goes in, and, and I think the big thing for me is he's such an influential player, and, and equally he's such a defensive influential player. So you've got Jorginho, who is as good defensively. I'm trying to think of a good analogy here, but he's just absolute dross. Like he, he doesn't match up to a Kante or Kovacic. So leaving him on his own in that midfield just gave us nothing. We had nothing going forward after that and we had nothing to sort of fend off Arsenal. Um, and to your point, Jamie, I think it just it was such a big decision during the game that just didn't help. Sort of, There was no way we were going to work our way back into it after that. Yes, I think um, it was a case... It wasn't really the big decisions that changed. I mean, that one obviously did. Um, the others, in terms of like the handball, it was right at the end of the game. Um, so either way, you know, it still would have taken a lot for us to, to get back into it. They would have just subbed on another keeper and we would have carried on. But I think the the, the problem I had was the, the little niggly kind of fouls here and there. Every time we, I felt like we were starting to get some momentum, um, you know, an Arsenal player would make a foul, not given. Or, you know, Chelsea would win back possession in a good area. He gives it as a foul, whether it is or not. You know, it was just always the same way. It was never kind of, we got some, they got some. It was, I think in the first half, um, Arsenal got given nine fouls in their favour and we got zero in the first 45 minutes of that game. And that just kind of says it all to me. Um, and I just want to put a caveat in there that, you know, I do, I do think Arsenal deserved to win in terms of performance of the two teams. I think Arsenal were a better team on the day. Uh, yeah. So this is not taking away anything from from Arsenal's uh, performance. It's just I don't think we got a fair crack at winning despite not being the better team on the day, which, you know, sometimes can happen. Uh, I don't <laughs> think we got a fair chance at doing that because of the referee's poor performance. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that. 
And, and the thing is, that there were there are other factors in the game that I'm not really complaining about, just because they're a part of the game itself. But sort of having Pulisic and Dave go off injured were big impacts on our game. Um, but that is just sort of the fact of the matter of playing the game of football. You you potentially lose players as part of that. I think it's when there are you, you feel that misjustice as a player or a fan, sorry, and you're you're watching it and you're sort of going, "There's a reason why I feel that we haven't." had a chance in this game is, is, is the big piece here. To your point, I thought Arsenal played, after that first drinks break, played Chelsea a lot better. They they looked at the weaknesses we had in our defence and we've identified that on the podcast a number of times. The red card comes like 75 minutes, 73, 75 minutes. And I think for the first 20 minutes of the second half, nothing happened. I don't think it was a highlight, right? I had neither team did anything. And I think that is because Pulisic got, uh, he got injured. Because I mean, it, was yeah, it kind of killed. It, yeah, it kind of deflated the game a bit, didn't it? After that injury, like straight away, there was no quick start from either side. It was kind of like ages getting getting the injury sorted out, and then everyone was just a bit slow afterwards. I think on both sides. Well, I think we came out thinking, "Don't concede, get to seventy minutes, like don't concede," and then Pulisic getting injured meant you didn't really have a threat. Um, and also Giroud, I, I was surprised Giroud started. I thought, given how the City game went for us, I'd have expected. Tammy Abraham to start or something, completely run at us, grind us down. And then when it gets to the later game where you, if you need a goal and you're, you're pumping the ball into the box, City would have beaten us if they had Giroud, 100%. Because they had, they had Gabriel Jesus in the middle and he can't win a ball against uh, David Luiz or Holding or anyone. So I was like, it's, it, you had no real threat after that. And then um, we obviously get the free, the free ball and Bamiak scores and then we can just sit back again which is something we've not been able to do for 15 years, sit back and soak up <laughs> pressure. Um, and we can barely do it now. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, transfer talk. So Matt, we'll, we'll also bring a little bit of the Arsenal piece in here um, and your thoughts on who you'd like to see in the lineup or who you wouldn't. Um, Aubameyang, I mean, the big question to Matt is, do you reckon you're going to keep him? Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is what I was going to say. I was going to say it's a big loss. Yeah, the... So on the Aubameyang front, if Aubameyang goes, we are we are a mid-table team. We're a mid-table team with... Can you get that as a highlight, please? Just sort of Matt stating that. Uh, I'll happily say <laughs> Mid-table it. team with Willian, maybe. We'd take, well, he'd walk in our team. That shows you the gap <laughs> between uh, you guys and us is that, you know, it panned to him in the bench. And I was like, he could do a job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, defensively, I think I think he'll stay. That's my gut feeling. I think he will as well. I mean, he's not. I think he's for a big club to come in for him. He's not young. He like it'd be different if he was twenty eight, twenty nine. But is he thirty one now? Um, that I mean, don't get me wrong. He's still playing at the peak of his game, but I think he's only got two or three good years in him. Yeah. That, that, unless he goes to Italy, which just seems to breed players who into their sort of late 40s and, and just being able to sort of continue at that peak. Um, but for me, I just don't see him going to a bigger club. No one really is going to pay big money for him. I mean, we were yeah, we on. were linked with him, weren't we? Um, apparently, it's come out last week, I think, that um, he was ready to move to Chelsea in January, um, but Chelsea didn't want to match the or didn't want to pay his wages. So... He was literally all ready to go. It was just a case of we didn't want to pay the wages, so it got uh, called off. That's so funny. 
Chelsea not wanting to match an Arsenal player's wages. <laughs> but the the I if he'd gone to United, I thought he was going to go to United in January. That was my thing because they needed a striker. Uh, I know their front three has turned up with a decent tally, but you know, towards the end of the season, they start banging in goals that don't matter, and then you look back and go, "Hang on a minute, we've been slagging them off all year, and now they've got double figures." All of them. It's mm. that's when they were linked in January. Uh, no one was really firing all cylinders. Martial. Um, uh, what's it called? What's this? What's Greenwood, Rashford. Greenwood and Rashford, right? They're not, they're not, they weren't firing all cylinders. So I thought if Batman goes there for a couple of years to buy them enough time to, for, I, for any of them to step up or for them to sign Harry Kane, that would probably be my play. So when he didn't go, I was delighted. But I, I think he'd do a job for you. I think if, if he went in. Well, one, now we've got Werner coming in. I think oh, yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's not itch. needed as much. We're probably okay. But the thing is, I, I'm less worried around our, our sort of attacking front now. Um, what worries me is our defence, because I think that was probably going to be the focus of the FA Cup, was how poor can each Arsenal or Chelsea's defence be? Because we have been horrific in, in recent games. I mean, our, we've only sort of turned up for, for a few of our games and done... Um, a half decent job. Not, I'd never sort of give us sort of the credit of being great, but the back three because we've we've played with a back five for the last three four games now, and the back three have always been shaky. You put Dave into that, it gives it a bit more solidified. But Zuma and Rudiger just don't seem to be a good defence, uh, and I think you guys have had the same challenge. Uh, I think sort of Arsenal have had that challenge of. Uh, from a defence for a number of seasons now. Um, so I won't necessarily ask your opinion on how we fix it because I think you're still looking for the answer. But um, <laughs> it, I th- the, the issue being is both Chelsea and Arsenal are going to be in the market for defensive, sort of bolstering that defence, um, for want of a better word. And I don't really know. It's, it's a saturated market at the moment. Sort of a couple of seasons ago, you could have bought a centre-back for as cheap as shipped and now it's probably the most pivotal part of the games I think it's like that Van Dyke effect where people have seen the money that you have to spend to get that level of quality and then recognise that there's not a lot of that quality left so I think it's going to be mm. capturing the scraps to sort of go through that is that an area that you sort of identified as trying to fix or is that I don't think I don't think ours if you if you look at it without emotion is actually down to the individuals I don't think I, they make individual errors, but I don't think that we could take a defender out, stick one in, and we would be much better. Um, other than like a Van Dyke or someone that would be levels above. And I think the the problem is we have moved to a completely new system where the midfielders and the defence have been just disjointed, and that's and the way that Arteta is trying to play for us is very much if you're not in your position and you're not. Uh, part of these triangles and part of this press then when you look up and someone's not there we are absolutely exposed and I think the, the, the adjustment period for that is the reason why people have made individual mistakes rather than David Luiz is an absolute idiot which he is but I don't think that's ex- the whole reason for why he's made these mistakes so the short answer is I don't think we can sign our way out of our problems, it get made better by having someone big come in, but we can't attract them. Who wants to be in our defence at the moment and play in the Europa League? It's, I've it's seen um, you've you've signed a, a defender, uh, Saliba. Is it? Yeah, last year. Um, yeah, he he looks quite good actually. Um, 
Mm. So I think, I don't know how quick of an impact he'll be able to be because he's very young, but um, from what I've seen of him, he does look quite impressive. He's 19. So you're like, he's, he's probably very good. And I've seen, I, I, to be honest, I YouTubed uh, Yaya Sonogo and thought he was going to be, you know, amazing. Uh, <laughs> but um, I thought, how much, how much can we pin our hopes on a 19-year-old when he's next to holding, I think it's 23, 24, uh, and Tepper um, who's like 86. So that's, that's my worry. But yeah, he looks good. I think we've we've got a similar issue in terms of like if you look at all of our defenders on their own, they're good players. You know, Rudiger is a good player. In you know, looking at him as a sole individual, Christiansen, Zuma, and um, Tamori, they're all they're all good defenders. But we're just missing a certain attribute, which is a physical, strong, powerful leader type. You know, someone that can communicate well. We're missing the John Terry of our team, basically. Yeah. Um, and that's where we need to go and strengthen. We need to go and pick up someone who is more than anything the the communication side of it, because you know it, you can see it when we have corners against us. Um, just there's just no communication whatsoever, and people can run around. I mean, you you guys had clearly seen how poor our our defence was from corners because you had a specific routine from corners that you were you were doing, and every time it was over the keeper's head and towards the back post. Because you knew that everyone just turns around and looks and doesn't actually do anything, um, and and that that all comes down to the communication side of it. And I think that's where we need to go and strengthen. Um, just get someone who can actually lead that defence and order people about and make sure people are in the right place at the right time and know what they're doing. That's not an easy find, especially in this market. Don't you, don't you think that more there are more in. I say individual errors because that's what they go down as, but there there seem to be more individual errors now than when we were growing up watching football. I just don't remember yeah. this many glaring errors. And I think players are getting asked to do too much for the, there's like a generational gap where probably the ones that are 19 now will be used to being told in this scenario, you do this, in this scenario, you press, in this scenario, you fall back. But there's a whole generation that's currently playing that are not used to that. They're just, you're in a 4 4 2. You stay back. That's it. It's the turnover of managers, isn't it? It's mm. every team has it now. You know, I mean, you guys had Wenger for such a long time, and now you're going through similar thing to everyone else, where you've changed managers quite quickly recently, and everyone's having the same. You know, you, the managers really you don't see them lasting more than four or five years maximum, um, yeah. and that's a manager. And most of the time, you know, you got probably a two season limit on most managers, two three seasons. If you're changing ideas and philosophies every couple of years, players are not, you know, they're going to get confused. You have to play this way now. Next year, you have to play that way. And it's it's not easy for a player just to change their mentality completely like that as a player and change their playing style to suit what that manager wants. And the manager can't always bring in a whole team of players to suit his philosophy straight away. He has to put sometimes a few square pegs in round holes. And it doesn't always work. And that's where you get these individual errors from. And it, it is difficult because of this manager merry-go-round that the whole mm-hmm. world seems to have now. No, I think from, from my perspective, it's, it's a bit of a Guardiola effect where they're expecting all 11 players on the pitch to have that sort of total football, being able to sort of play play out from the back, be able to sort of just play yeah, that passing football. I think... Back when we first started watching football, it was the likes of Terry, Tony Adams, that sort of no-nonsense back four. That back four is literally 
clear it as quickly as you can and goof it up the field and let the midfielders and the strikers do the fancy player work. There's an expectation now for the top clubs that everyone, including the keeper, has the ability to pass off, pass around the game and you're passing that back sort of from the back to the, to the front. And there's a lot of players who can't do that. You saw Joe Hart, literally his whole career has crumbled by trying to fit into that methodology. Can't even get into a Burnley squad where he was Man City keeper for a number of years. And, and, and I think there's a lot of managers who are trying to play that ethos without having the, the players ready for it. Sort of, Frank can't expect Rudiger, Zuma, Christensen to be able to play, do the simple stuff right, and then equally be able to sort of make sure they can pass from the back four to the front. It's taken City and Liverpool a number of years to get to that point to be able to do that. And I think there's just, people are struggling to try and keep up with, they're so far ahead of the pack at the moment. Um, mm. It's going to be difficult to try and catch up with mediocre defence also as well it's like the the shift Guardiola again right the shift where the final third the, the, the attackers in the front three front three by the way a very modern thing right in terms of how it's used now that they are allowed to do what they want in the last third that was always the methodology and no matter what you tell your striker to do so long as he bangs one in last minute 30 minute 30 yards away he's a hero so if he's not listened to any instructions all game has had a stinker, hasn't tracked back, but scores a winner, all the fans will love him and not notice anything else he's done. For the defenders, there is absolutely no way to redeem you not being part of the system. There is no way to, unless you clear the ball off the line, um, which is most of the time luck anyway, there is no way for you to get that back. And I think that's why the defenders get such a hard time um, trying to adapt versus the attackers because people are scoring more goals and it's a mixture of Attacking is a little bit easier when you've got total freedom and defenders are having to be more constrained. And equally, I think it's, it's, it's creating a bit of a, a paradigm between the top six or seven and the, and the bottom half of the, the table because you look at the likes of Burnley and a number of other clubs where they are still playing that level of football and they're winning games against the big clubs. They're sort of You're seeing the Burnleys beat Chelsea, the Arsenals. It's because they're just doing simple stuff right. And we're just trying to overcomplicate it quite often. Um, and, and therefore, you, you see sort of the big clubs lose to sort of the minnows. But then when you're playing the same mentality against sort of Chelsea and Arsenal, you get a much sort of sort of normal scoring game, sort of the one or two nils. Whereas when you're playing a Burnley and they're literally their back four know what they're doing and they just hoof it route one to their strikers, it's very simple to sort of score a goal against Defenders who don't know the system they're trying to be part of. So um, we'll, see, we'll see how that goes. So obviously we've got some confirmed areas where we, it seems all but certain Kai Havertz is is on his way over to Chelsea. Uh, Petr Cech all but confirmed it. You know, a, 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 a video <laughs> <laughs> where, where he asks, um, "Are we getting Kai Havertz?" And there was a, no confirmation or denial, but. As we mentioned last week, it's just looking positive. Um, so Kai yeah, Havertz... I think it's, it's it's probably a case now of do we do it before or after the Europa League? Because obviously he's due to play in the Europa League next week against Rangers. Um, now we saw what can happen yesterday when Pedro got injured. Um, he's obviously got his move lined up to Roma. So obviously we don't want that to happen. So 
it, it kind of looks like they're saying to us, if you want him before, you have to pay full price. But if we keep him for the Europa League, then maybe we'll negotiate on the price a little bit. So I don't know it's whether it's worth it or not to just, just pull the trigger now and make sure he doesn't play or to let him play and maybe knock 10, 15 million off the price. I don't, I don't know. It, it's all but certain we're going to go in for him. He might play against Rangers to get match fitness in, in this current scenario we're in. Uh, you can't really knock because um, otherwise you're going to have players just sitting around waiting for the pre-season or whatever pre-season looks like. Probably also to give the, the Bayer Leverkusen fans uh, an opportunity to say goodbye. Um, I probably wouldn't deny it and I wouldn't mind taking the risk. I, I feel absolutely gutted for Pedro um, after yesterday. Um, but I, I would rather risk it because if he's going to get injured, he's going to get injured I'd rather he get that happens before he comes to Chelsea rather than whilst he's here. Um, that that's my thoughts. What so Matt, if, if we talk around the hypothetical here, so Chelsea's potential attack lineup next year could be a lineup of Pulisic, Ziyech, Werner, um, potentially Kai Havertz, and then you've got some of the existing players like. Tammy, Giroud, Mason Mount, dependent on contract renegotiation, could potentially have Willian in that mix as well. Hudson Adoy. Hudson Adoy. What what are your thoughts around that? Because as a Chelsea fan, it's quite an impressive front line. No, it is. But it's it's how you fit how do you fit them all in and not lose I mean my gut feeling of Hudson Adoy is he's not gonna he won't leave because these people have come in. But does he go out on loan? Does he become a squad player? Does he become a Carabao Cup player? Um, do all four of them fit in the same team? Giroud has proven he absolutely just loves being a squad player anyway and trying to prove people wrong, so he'll stay forever. Um, and it wouldn't matter to you guys if you left anyway, uh, other than calendar sales. And I think that the front, it's a scary attack. It is a scary attack. And uh, we would take anyone who left uh, from that. So we'd take William. Right? I, I, I know some Arsenal fans don't want him, but he'd walk into our team, um, even if it was just to challenge Pepe. But yeah, no, scary, scary front four, potentially. But where would you have Havertz? Would you have Havertz, what, as a... Is he going to be your, your 10? Well, the thing is... He plays, he plays Cam-Man to the right, right? So Yeah, so the way that Lampard seems to like to play, and it all depends on Kante, really, because if you don't have Kante, you can't really play this way. But we play with a uh, 4-3-3, with Kante at the base, and then two kind of number eights. Right. Um, so my thought is that it will be Mount and um, Havertz as the two number eights. And then you'll have... Uh, Pulisic wide left, Ziyech wide right, and Werner up front. Where do you play Kovacic then, Jeremy? Because he, he deserves a position in the squad. He'll be a squad player next season, I'm telling you now. He'll be a squad player next season. He, it'll be him and Mount will be rotated in that position. Um, yeah. Kante has to stay, and I think we'll probably try and, if we get Declan Rice in, he'll... He'll cover for a centre-back and he'll also be cover for Kante in that role because he could do the same kind of job, not in the same way as Kante, obviously, but he he can do that kind of job. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I don't think Kovacic will be a start regular star next season. Yeah, I mean, I, I think sort of, 
the struggle, I, see, I think, Scott, there's been a lot of talk this week, and I think Darren Bent was on Talk Sport talking around it, is everyone's been given Lampard the, the plaudits around how much he's brought through youth into the squad. So bringing through Tammy, Tamori, Mount, Abraham, um, Hudson Adoy. And, and then there's been that challenge now is, has he just brought them through because he's had to bring them through rather than the, the real challenge is now he's got money and spending money. Is how, will he still put those sorts of players into the, the squad? And I think some of them will keep that position. I think to your point, Matt, of why didn't Abraham start? He has lost his confidence as soon as we've announced Werner. Um, there's no doubt about it. He, he hasn't st- started and Giroud started every game. He, he just and Giroud's form has been ridiculous. You couldn't really drop him after, you know, he's scored in almost every game since the restart, so you couldn't really drop him at all. I, 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 think, I think you'll see Abraham potentially exit this season. Um, I, I, I think I, I can't really see him. He's been sort of holding out for this contract, which, to be fair, I would have let he should have signed in January just to sort of get the long term contract when he was in form. His form has dropped off the chart, and, and now there's so much talent that's been brought around him. I don't think he's got the same. I think he'll be there to, to push Werner for a starting space. Obviously, Werner looks like he'll be as Max would say, written into the team every week. But I think he'll be there to to pressure him for that spot. And I do think, you know, he'll get an odd start against your promoted teams or, you know, he'll get starts here and there to give him a chance to to earn his spot. Um, and that's what he needs, I think. Like if, you, if you can't handle the pressure of big players coming into your team, then don't play for a big club because it's always going to happen. They're always going to have people there that can challenge you for that spot. Um, and like, you know, we're, we're arguing about who's going to, where we're going to fit all these top players. It's a brilliant problem to have. And when you're at a top club, you have to expect that. You can't think that just because you, a top club signed you, you're going to get into the team every week. You have to fight for your place. You have to earn your place. And it's going to be the same no matter which big club any of our players go to. It'll be exactly the same. And, and, and probably Matt will have seen this this season and whether it will change in the next season is we're going to buy a lot of talent in that might not fit on day one. So you've seen, we've seen this as of old. Potentially, a Werner or Kai Havertz is not going to have the greatest sort of run off the blocks. They're not going to be sort of hit the ground running and scoring what we're expecting them to do. Uh, my 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 gut is that you're going to see one or two of them have an absolute outstanding season next season. Arsenal come in, spent sort of circa sort of seventy million on Pepe this season. He hasn't lit the world on fire. So there's there's the risk that you. As much as sort of we've got this talent in, in the youth coming through, that they're probably going to see it at the mainstay because you're not going to be able to go and have sort of Werner scoring 30 goals in the first season or Kai Havertz doing something similar. Is that sort of where it, it's an interesting point on Pepe, Matt, because he was meant to be your saviour this season and he's not necessarily delivered. He's had moments of genius. Yeah, I think. Again, I think he he's a victim of uh, how we've tried to play, and uh, he's a very he's so obvious what he's going to do. He's like Robin Mark Two or, or Ruby Mark Two, where it's like he's going to cut in, he's going to cross, or he's going to cut in, he's going to shoot. There is nothing else to his game, and if no one's across to, you know he's going to shoot. And that's we're not overloading the box. We're not we're not a fast counter attacking team. So he's looking up, 
and there's no one to take defenders away for him to kind of cut in. There's no one to do anything with him. Every time he's had the ball, he's on his own. And uh, I feel I do feel for him in that regard. Having said that, the way he, the way he dribbles is so irritating. He doesn't look no, like I, on the ball. I think he'll fit into your team because he, obviously Arteta's coming in with this kind of met, uh, this pep style of play that he's used to. Mm. And that to me sounds very much like what Mares does for, for City. You know, he cuts inside and I mean I think I've he's Mares has scored against us that way about five times for Leicester and City. Yeah. Um, you know, taking someone on wide right, cutting inside and burying it into the bottom corner. So I think, you know, if, if uh, Arteta gets you playing the way that he wants you to, then I think Pepe could definitely excel in that team long term. Yeah, I, my, my if I was going to sign a player, though, I, we, Aubameyang is going to be the biggest signing we make. And if we do, and if we don't make it, we are. I don't care who we sign because it's going to be just a disastrous season anyway. The, the main signings I want to make, I want another centre-back. Um, and I want someone in midfield that is just just a uh, a proper out and out holding midfielder. That's all I want there because we don't. We still don't have one. We think you'll keep Ceballos. I want to keep Ceballos, and I don't think he's good enough to get the Real Madrid team, which is sad and good at the same time. Because I don't think I don't, he's not going to walk into Real Madrid's team, is he? And he's not going to be happy being a squad player. So I can't see us not keeping him. Um, I would not have kept David Luiz for another year. That is insane to me. <laughs> that. He is the most sort of temperamental player I've ever seen. A player that can win you a game and lose you a game in two separate games is just unreal. It is... Uh, it, it, it raises a good point. So if we look at where Chelsea probably need to invest the majority of our remaining transfer funds is defensively. Um, so if we look at the the elephant in the room of our goalkeeper situation, um, sensibly a non-A failed goalkeeper. Matt, can you give us uh, one of yours, please? Because you've got two good goalkeepers there. Yeah. No. Yeah, you can have... I don't know which one I'd give you, to be honest. They've both been pretty decent. They've both been good, yeah. Yeah. I was I was I was really shocked. I mean, when Burton Leno went out, Martinez was literally just this unknown figure and has come in and done an amazing job. We've not had that privilege. <laughs> we, we we know that Willie can do a role, but he's not a top four goalkeeper. Um and that's where we're gonna have to go and get our checkbook out and, and either spend big or spend still big but not as much. Um sensibly. <laughs> The name's being bounded around at the moment. So the one that myself and Jamie would love to see is our black. Um, that's going to be circa hundred million pounds to sort of bring a player of that class through. Um, and, and equally, I think as much as I think our black would be an amazing player, I just don't think I see it happen. I don't see us being able to spend that money, be able to bring through that level of quality and. It just be able to work in this transfer. It, it, that's just not who else is there? I don't know who else. So is the one that's been touted at the moment is Pope. So Pope for fifty million is is what I'm, I'm reading at the moment, and that's a big pill to swallow um, for a player that's had a, a few good seasons. The, the issue is is that someone like Pope has got Premier League experience and can walk in and do a job now. 
we've we've spoken on the, the podcast before, but what Chelsea need is not a sort of uh, they don't need a, a player that's a ball playing goalkeeper. We don't need that. It's a failed experiment that we've had. We just need a good shot stopper, um, and that's what Nick Pope is. Um, Fifty million that's being touted is an extortionate amount, but it's an extortionate amount that we're probably willing to pay. Um, and I can't see any other goalkeeper uh, unless we go to Anama, um, and I'll let Jamie do his little rendition in a minute of that new chant that we get through there. But um, <laughs> I, it's the only players I can actually see us signing. Um, I still and, would go Anana personally because I mean that's that's going to cost you thirty million. He's a very good goalkeeper. He's played in the Champions League. He's he's been at um, Ajax for a number of years already and I think he's only like 25, 26 um, and he's, he's, he's a good good goalkeeper and you're not paying a, a lot of money for him and it gives you funds to go out and spend the other problem areas we have like centre-back and left-back and we also need yeah. another midfielder to cover for Kante as well so I, I, I don't see what, why we just don't go get Anana because they've already agreed to let him go, they've already basically said 30 million and he's yours I don't, I don't understand why. Maybe they see a problem with him that I've not seen, but I think he's a good goalkeeper. And for thirty million, that's an absolute steal. The, the issue I keep reading around is, is is sort of quite a lot of goalkeepers from the continent that just can't handle the Premier League when they arrive, and and that's what I think Chelsea are worried around is having another failed experiment. Because if if Irinana doesn't work, that's in excess of a hundred million that have been wasted on goalkeepers. Typically, the cheapest player that you would buy. Uh, from all the positions on the pitch um, and they've not worked out for us I think where people are, are sort of touting someone like Nick Pope is that's £50 million that you could probably buy and it, and he's he's tried and tested not necessarily in a top four club but he's tried and tested as a, a good goalkeeper in the Premier League Well you'd say you know if you're, if you're playing in the Premier League for a lower team then you're facing more shots you're facing you know the same players, but you, your defence in front of you realistically wouldn't be as good. Therefore, you're going to have more shots against you. And if you're saving the majority of them, then you're obviously good enough to go to a better team. And if you've got less shots coming at you, then you should really save a higher percentage. So, yeah, I, I can see the logic behind that. I think, yeah, Nick, Nick Pope's a good shout. I mean, 50 million, those that's a lot for a Burnley goalkeeper, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's what I'm reading in, in the BBC transfer rumours at the moment. I think that number will be inflated, um, but it, I think sort of it's just a, a, it's another market that's been saturated off the fact that Liverpool can prove that if you invest in the right player, it can change your season and change how your, your squad plays. The next position is centre-back. Um, so I think sort of there are ongoing conversations with Chilwell. We've we've spoken around that a number of times. It's looking more positive in that that space. I think equally Tagliafico would be a better signing in my eyes now. I think Chilwell's quite an inflated cost um, from what I've seen. His head seemed to have dropped in the last part of last season, and I just don't. I, I don't see us spending that amount of money, but this seems like there's positive news there. The new person I've heard is um, Matthias Ginter um, from Borussia Dortmund. <laughs> Perfect. 
I don't know why you. I love this that. game. <laughs> um, that potentially is another centre back in the mix. I just don't know with the centre back situation. Kudabali apparently is not looking great from a City perspective because they're still annoyed at Napoli based off Jorginho, but. To your point, Matt, I don't even know whether if we go and sign a big centre-back, whether we're just going to fix our problem. Um, yeah, Kante seems like, the, uh, you said earlier, Jamie, I think Kante is the, the person to get cover or someone who's going to replace you know, in a couple of years' time. On the goalkeeper, I you... I, 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 I'm wary of English goalkeepers, not because of just English goalkeepers in general. But What have they done to you, Matt? But well, we haven't had one. What does David the, Seaman ever yeah. do to you? <laughs> the 2002 World Cup has tarnished. <laughs> um, the, it's the amount of pressure on an England goalkeeper, an English goalkeeper that's considered to be number one or maybe in the running for number one. I think the worst thing that could possibly happen is they actually make it because they're going to get about five friendlies and one competitive match and then their confidence will be near on dead uh, and you want to pick that player up. I don't think other countries have that the same way that we do in this country because we love a bit of symbolism and England's number one means way more than any other position on the pitch, uh, even though it's definitely our weakest area. So It's a great, it's a great shout on that because Kepper still is in the Spanish squad. I don't even know how. He can't make it into the Chelsea squad. It's like um, the other countries don't watch. Uh, they, they just don't watch the, the national games. They just go, well, he's really good. Like, you know, he's, he was really good. He must still be really good. We'll just play him and that'll be it. Um, whereas we will go, did he just did he just palm that when he could have caught it? He's a sat it. Oh dead over. So yeah. It might be a stupid reason, but I'd be worried Nick Pope goes to the, the uh, Euros twenty twenty one and uh, God forbid is a human being and maybe knocks out for a corner when it should have been a catch and uh, he gets hate mail and uh, that all of a sudden flops to you. <laughs> I can see that happening. It's a great point though, because Jordan Pickford made a big money signing to Everton, and it's not—he's just had critique after critique, just because he's had quite a poor defence in front of him. So, so moving on from the transfer, so I think we've identified that there are problems there, but good problems and bad problems to have. Um, moving forward to the friendly, Jamie, I know that you are very keen around this game. Um, yeah. The Bayern Munich friendly that we've got, because we're not going to call it a competitive game, because it won't be a competitive game. Okay. Let's look forward to the, the Bayern Munich Champions League second leg. What are your thoughts? I'm inclined to just send the kids, to be honest with you, because, I mean, like, we're, we're not, we're not going to come back, firstly. Let's just write that off. And then, secondly, yeah, we're probably going to get stuffed if Bayern even want to risk their starting 11 you know the only thing is they've had a few weeks off playing because their season finished a lot earlier so they might you know put their full strength team in to to try and get them back up to speed considering they're 3-0 up already they don't have to really worry about it um half our squad is injured um we're still pro- he's not going to risk Kante I don't think for a game like this um Loftus-Cheek's out injured uh, Alonso suspended, Azpilicueta is injured, Pulisic is injured, Willian's injured, um, Gilmore's injured. I don't really know who <laughs> we have left to play other than the kids, you know. It's, 
Yeah, and it's a good chance to give them some Champions League experience as well, really, like playing against a big team in their stadium. Why not just, you know, give Hudson Adoy a, a, a run out, give, um, you know, some of the guys that haven't played so much, give them a run out and and just no pressure. So, so, so I'm going to play devil's advocate now, fully sort of into the, the point of we're not going to win this. Um, but isn't the whole idea of the Champions League it's made for games like this, where literally no. you're written off. <laughs> you look at the Barcelona squad of the PSG game, the the Liverpool and the Tottenham games of last season, where literally people write the other teams off and their route to the final is just sort of like written in. It, it's sort of like that, I don't know, it's poetic sort of route to sort of the final. You never expect them to win the final that year, but they turn around and do that. That's where I'm... Um, I'm drawing from here, and it's only because I'm clutching at straws here. Um, that that's where I want it to be. Uh, you sort of see a Mason Mount sort of score a hat trick, and we then sort of see Kepa come in and score a header to sort of win us the, the tie to take us through to the next round. That's where I'm seeing. That's. I don't think you've got much to lose. Having said, <laughs> that, having said that, you've just you've just lost to us, and we are terrible. So, I mean, I, I'm not holding out much hope for you against a full-strength Bayern Munich team who have basically won the league weeks ago. <laughs> All um, I'm going to say is that that's where our position was in 2012. 2012, we were... But we started the we, game at 0-0. Yeah. You, you look at the Napoli game. <laughs> the Napoli game. You were better then too as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad when an Arsenal fan starts telling us. Yeah, you, you, you've... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you're teaching us how to get through in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, I, I can size up uh, a gap between a team and Bayern Munich quite well because between us and Bayern Munich, there's a lot of gap. And you're somewhere in between that gap because you're better than us, definitely worse than them. Um, but I think you might be closer to us than to, to you are to them. I mean, With the I don't know whether at least. This is just a fan's optimism here, but I, that's, that's where I see it being. He's just sort of. Liverpool being knocked out, it's sort of still hope. I mean, I don't think there would have been hope if we played the second half of this game after the first half because it was an embarrassment. Um, I mean, to be honest, I'm clutching straws here. I don't see this actually happening. Um, I just wanted a different view than us just saying we were going to lose horrifically and I'm going to cry myself to sleep. Um, uh, do you know what I'm as as I said, like to me I'm viewing it as a, a post season friendly because we're not gonna win and I, I don't think as I said, I don't think any of the injury doubts will be risked even if they're slightly fit. And I think, you know, as I said, it's a good opportunity for players like Hudson Adoy to to go out and start. Um and well I, I say play the kids, but actually I don't really know who else there is. I think I think Lampard's starting eleven is pretty much nailed on because of the fact that everyone else is injured um i i can't see us playing a five at the back purely because alonso's going to be suspended because he got sent off in the first leg um so i think that's already and considering um dave's injured that tells you that it's going to be emerson on the left reese james on the right and all my comments ignore my comments and fainted optimism um, Matt, what are your predictions on the score? Uh, I, I could, I could see 
uh, sneak in like a, a 2-1 win or something like that. I could see that. Because and you put that evil on us. They're, no, they're going to be thinking happen. the same thing. They're, whatever you've just said, times it by 10. They're thinking the exact same thing. They're like, why would we bother putting out a team? <laughs> We're 3-0 up. We don't need to put a team out. I would not be surprised if you got like a consolation win and, and you, you know, you, you snatch it. I, I, I do think they're going to play their full strength team because I, I think they will see it as a pre-season friendly almost because... As I said, they, they finished their league a number of weeks ago. Um, so they've not played for, what, like four four or five weeks now? Uh, yeah. They need to warm up before they play Barcelona or Napoli in the next leg. So, you know, which I don't know how far it is between the two games, but they need a, a you know, a practice-friendly, a warm-up game. And it's a perfect opportunity to, to have that against us, really, because they got that free goal cushion. So I think they will play their full-strength team to get that bit of match sharpness. Um, ready for the next leg, so yeah, uh, I, I don't think we, we we stand a chance to be honest. But yeah, it'd be nice, you know, to to get a goal. <laughs> but, All um, I'm saying is, yeah, let, let's just. I'm going to put this on sort of in the podcast now. The route to Lisbon starts here. Um, it's it's going to be that magical final that we we beat Bayern, undo the deficit. We then beat Barcelona Barca. in the next round, yep. and then we just City. Then we'd round. have to beat City, <laughs> and we'll do it with kids. So, um, I mean, the, the nice thing is, uh, if you if you put this into perspective, you are talking about trying to get a goal against Bayern Munich. I have to watch Wolves play Olympiacos, who knocked us out, and Wolves will probably beat them. That's uh, <laughs> levels in our pain is is separate. We should. Congratulate Matt on uh, on his team's FA Cup. We, uh, despite all the complaints and the the moaning about the referee, I, I do think, as I said before, it's uh, it was a deserved victory. So uh, we do have to give you a congratulations on that one. I mean, I also like to sort of comment on the analogy that Aubameyang did with the, the cup itself in dropping it before he got to the squad. Um, but yeah, full credit to you. Full credit to you if you're willing. Ignore that comment. We'll take that off the record. <laughs> you, you, you made it seem like I've got a clause in like a contract for the podcast. I'm only coming on if you give me some credit. <laughs> they we, told me they were right. going to say thank you. They were going to congratulate me on winning this. Yeah, it was me. It was all my own. Uh, no, uh, I, I, I thought you were. Uh, I thought you were. Were unlucky. I thought we, we probably edged it on the day, but to lose two key players and then have a guy sent off that shouldn't have been sent off is unbelievable. So it's, uh, yeah, could have, could have been. And a cheating ref. Cheating ref. Cheating ref. And a, and a cheating ref as well, yeah. And an Arsenal fan just said that, so we can take that as word. And we got a trophy. I don't care what happened. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we're throwing it away. That's how much we care once we want it. <laughs> So, come to the conclusion of another great weekend with Chelsea Chat. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell notification and comment below on any topic you like, including Bulldogs. Thank you very much, Matt, for joining. Um, appreciate your insight and uh, your guidance on the Chelsea Chat podcast and taking some nice criticism from myself and JB. Um, all I can leave to say is you stay classy, Chelsea fans. 